0: Hey y'all welcome to another episode of chats from the blog cabin this show where i invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life i'm melissa <laughs> i am um couple of episodes we're going to be chatting about business. Um, this particular episode I have Rob from A Million Dollar Collar on and he is going to be talking about starting startups and being an entrepreneur and we, he has some really great advice for people that want to start their companies and just kind of just diving in and just starting up. Um, I really... He has such a great vibe, and he's just a go-getter, and I think you guys are going to really learn a lot from this episode, and I hope you learn a lot, and so the only thing I have left for you guys to say for you guys to do is start listening. Guys, welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm joined by Rob. He, as you see in his title, he says he's an inventor. He invented the million-dollar collar, which I absolutely love. So, Rob, tell us a little about yourself before we start talking about your business and entrepreneurship.
1: Uh, so, I've been kind of a uh, entrepreneur salesman uh, mutt. I've been in a million different industries and tried all different kinds of things, and uh, always looking for you know, new challenges and new excitements and you know, done all kinds of stuff, and I love it.
0: And I, one of the things I want to bring up because you actually mentioned this in your bio when you sent it out to me was you're married to a a badass Hollywood stunt woman. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, she's right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know uh, it's always backwards. <laughs>
1: she's, uh, yeah, she's a stunt woman. We moved out to L.A. about five years ago. Um, she randomly, uh, got connected with a guy and she's always been into health and fitness. And, uh, he said, yeah, I'm a stunt man. These are all the terrible things about the industry. And she said, sounds like fun. Let's do it. And, um, five years later, she's doubled for Taylor Swift and, uh, she was in Captain Marvel and tenant and, uh, the last ship, she doubles Jenna Elfman on fear of the walking dead. Um, she's really built a pretty amazing career. So it's been really fun.
0: Wow. So let's talk about, first of all, how did you get into entrepreneurship? Because in your bio, you told me you had, this is your third startup company. So how do you come up with the ideas for startups?
1: Well, you know, some of them are, you know, out of necessity. I was in real estate. And if you've ever been a real estate salesperson, you know, you have the the company name that you work at, but it's your business. So really that was one of our startups. I mean, you start from nothing. You knew nobody. My first year, I sold one house. I made a $1,500 commission in the nine or 10 months that I was in real estate. And so, you know, that was starting a business. Um, I learned pretty early that I can't work for other people, including my father. And so uh, if you can't work for somebody else, then you're going to have to do it on your own. And and that's where I'm at.
0: (laughs) So how long did it take you to figure out you couldn't work for other people?
1: Uh, It was pretty early. My very, one of my first jobs was for this guy named Tim Snyder. Um, It was a soccer and volleyball store. I was a a highly competitive soccer player. I started there when I was 17 years old. And day one, he gave me the keys to the store. He gave me uh, a code to the alarm and put 100% of his faith into me and the other guys that worked there. And right out of the gate, he just inspired us to want to make this thing this little business become something, he, he really made us a part of it. So, you know, we instantly were, you know, felt like owners of the business and it just made it a lot easier to work. And after that experience, it was really hard for me to go and work for somebody else that said, you do this and you'd be here at this time and you do that. I mean, when I was in college, so I graduated high school, I went to college, I would literally schedule my classes so I could go to work for a couple hours in the morning and do some books and things. And I would go to class Then I would come back to work for a couple hours, and i go back to class, and i come back to work and finish up and close the store for the day. So um, my heart and soul was in that place, and it was just because of the way he treated all of us from from the get-go.
0: So I'm assuming you said you went to college. You went for business, or was it something else?
1: Yeah, I actually, um, from Milwaukee, uh, UW-Milwaukee is the second uh, best architecture in the country, at least it was at the time I was there. And I really loved architecture, and so I started out wanting to do that. Within a half a semester, I knew that it wasn't for me. I talked to my dad's architect who said it was long hours, high stress, and low pay. And being the, high, the, you know, the number two school in the country, the grade point average necessary to just stay in the program was far higher than I ever was able to do in, in school. So um, I moved out of architecture into marketing and uh, got my degree in four years working full time.
0: Well, I totally can understand. Cause I have a daughter who's about ready to finish her architecture degree. So I totally understand. It's a lot of work a lot more mm-hmm. work than a lot of people think because you've got to build the models and even on day on breaks, she's still doing projects and stuff. Yeah. So I totally yeah. get that.
1: <laughs> I so, like that part when you build the models and stuff. And I love, that's why I ended up getting into real estate later is because, well, if I can't be an architect, I may as well at least be around real estate. And I was from the east side of Wisconsin or Milwaukee. And I mean, those houses are all built in the twenties and thirties. So they really, really gorgeous, you know, lots of woodwork and just amazing old houses. I loved it.
0: So now let's talk about the million million dollar collar. Let's talk about that. What exactly is that?
1: So, um, I got married seven years ago on the beach in Jamaica. I never, ever liked wearing a tie. You could see from this photo that that's from my actual wedding day before I said, I do. Uh, and you can see my shirt was just a crumbled, sloppy mess. And so um, I came home from that and started figuring out what the problem was, which there's no structure in where the buttons in the buttonhole part of the shirt is. I don't like wearing mm-hmm. a tie. So it, this is what needed structure. Uh, so I cut in a shirt. I shoved a piece of cardboard down the front. And I showed my new bride. And she said, I get it. I get what you've been nagging about all these years. I mean, she'd get ready to go out at night and I'm still there ironing my shirt, trying to get this part to stay up and it just never worked. So um, after the biggest day of my life, looking kind of like a slob, I decided I was going to make a fix. And so it took about three years to patent and perfect the design. And um, yeah, we've been on the market for five years now. So it's been pretty exciting.
0: So let's talk about the point where you decide, okay, I'm going to do this, then you have to make your design. Let's how talk us through those steps.
1: Oh my God. I just pulled out a picture recently of all the different iterations of this thing. Uh, it's shocking to see <laughs> different designs. I would take a dress shirt and I'd lay it, you know, my, my material on there and I'd cut it out to fit that dress shirt. Uh, we were actually going to make our own shirt in the beginning in, uh, we did a Kickstarter campaign. We were going to sell our own shirts. And uh, fortunately we did not get funded, but the unequivocal feedback was, why are you trying to compete with all the other brands? Why not license the technology? And why can't I upgrade the shirts I already know and love? And so after all of this, we had a shirt ready, we were ready to go to market, went back to the drawing board and came up with this universal design. This is what it looks like. Um, it's basically a nine inch long collar stay made out of a very, very special material that gets installed into the shirt once and, and it lasts the life of the shirt. So. Um, it took a lot, a lot of iterations, about a hundred rooms to figure this out.
0: Well, you, think about it. You probably made more money with that one little piece than you would making all those shirts. Cause there's a lot less that you had to manufacture, right?
1: Well, yeah, I got one thing that fits in every shirt. I mean, I can fit $10,000 worth of inventory in a shoebox. I've got, we do now have our own dress shirt line, which I'm wearing one of the shirts. Uh, the company is called Tiless. It's the first shirt designed to be worn without a tie, with million-dollar collar obviously already built in. But I've got a fat shirt that takes up half my garage. So, um, <laughs> I wow. think about that.
0: <laughs> So you you keep saying we was did you have someone that partnered with you with it during this investors? So I had
1: two people close to me very early on reach out and say I, I think you got something. One of them was my father. Um, totally unsolicited, totally out of the blue. He's like, I I like what you're doing and I want to get involved. Um, and a guy that started out modeling for me at my old clothing line. And then we ended up becoming partners in another business, his business. Um, so we've been friends for over 10 years now and, uh, he came in early on and, uh, he handles kind of the design graphics and sales side. I'm kind of the logistics background, make all sure make sure everything works and gets where it's supposed to go when it's supposed to go. So, um it's a really good partnership.
0: So, let's talk about the patenting. How this talk about the steps that you went through the patent because I know it had to be I don't different. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh it's, it's very long. It took 3 years. Uh, The first step is cutting a check for about two to $3,000 to do a patent search because you don't want to get into this process and then find out that somebody has some kind of other patent out there that they've already filed because now the the program is first to file. It used to be if you could prove that you came up with the idea before somebody else that they would grant you the patent. Now it's put up or shut up. So it's it's get in line and, and it's first to file now. So we cut that check for 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks Did the patent search. And then it's literally thousand plus dollar checks month after month after month. And we're close to six figures into this patent. So, um, and then once you get it, you have to maintain it. So it's ongoing, you know, payments to whatever countries you have this extended to. So I don't know if you laid the, there's a lady that invented the fidget spinners. Mm -hmm. She actually did that. Um, and couldn't afford to maintain the patent, lost it. And then everybody came out with fidget spinners and it became a billion dollar industry overnight. And she actually was the one that invented that for her son. So uh, it, it's really hard to cut that check and you know, year after year after year, uh, especially when you're growing and you're trying to figure out what bills you can pay and what bills you can't pay. But uh, that's one of those ones that you just gotta make sure that you stay on top of.
0: Well, I never knew that you had to renew it every year. I thought once you had it, you had it. And I think a lot of people think that.
1: Yeah. No, there's a, there's ongoing maintenance fees and they go up every year. So they are expecting that you've built a business and that you're generating more and more income. So every year, it's, it's not a ton depending on the country, but like, you know, we're in Europe and every country in Europe that we want to extend this patent to, it's a thousand dollars a year per country. There's 28 countries in the EU. So you could see how it yearly it can add up really, really quick. So
0: and then you have to decide whether or not you want it in certain countries and somebody else steal it.
1: Like exactly. I mean, it's and it's, and steal it's it. a strategy thing. I mean, it, unless you've got half a million dollars to just go through and do a worldwide patent, you have to be really strategic as to I'm going to cover it here. I'm not going to cover it there. Um, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's challenging.
0: So what countries did you decide in the beginning that you wanted to cover?
1: Well, and that's the tricky thing is it's, you have six months from the date that you're approved to decide. So six months, we hadn't really built a business at all. So I, you know, what are the most dress shirt oriented countries out there? So we thought Australia, Canada, Europe, fortunately at that time, Europe and the EU was all one. So Uh, we got a little bit of bad advice from our attorney that it was just a one-time filing fee for all of eu so uh, we went there and um, got a few other countries that are covered as well but um, yeah it's it's a lot of lot of hard decisions on you know betting on yourself and do you think you could do it and if you can't then you've got some massive attorney bills you got to pay and no revenue to pay for it
0: oh wow so let's talk about people who may want to start their own business or do their own startups, what do you suggest they do? What's one of the first things that they should do?
1: Well, one, I think you've got to be passionate about, you know, the business. If it's just about making money, it's going to get boring. When you get challenges, it's going to get frustrating, and you're probably going to give up. Um, So, be passionate about what you're doing. Two is uh, you can't give up. I mean, if you're going to commit to this, the people that persevere and the people that are around today are the ones that never gave up no matter how adverse you know, the challenges were. So you have to stick to it, stick to your guns and just fight through. And again, if you're passionate about it, it makes that a lot easier. The other businesses we did, um, you know, I had a screen printing business. I had a clothing line I'd started in 2006. The screen printers that I had connected with were way overcharging me. Um, so I said, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I ended up meeting a guy who was like, yeah, I'm going to buy a screen printing equipment and I know how and I'll teach you. So he taught me so that I could print mm-hmm. my own stuff. And I told a few friends and then those friends told friends. And I never missed a deadline in nine years and printed uh, over a million dollars worth. So, um, you know, it just that one grew out of kind of out of necessity and actually overtook my clothing line. So uh, sometimes you have to follow the money, but um, definitely start out, you know, being passionate about what you want to do.
0: So do you still have the other businesses along with the million dollar collar as well?
1: No, I, so I sold, um, the screen printing business. Um, my wife and I decided in October that we were going to move to Los Angeles. This is about five and a half years ago. And so January 1st, I put the business on the market and we were going to be in the road moving out by that October and September 1st, I sold the business to one of my clients actually, um, So he really loved what we were doing. He had a lot of great connections in uh, one of the industries we were helping him with, and he's taken it now and grown it. it turns out that my wife and I really like to establish a business, grow it to a point, and then sell it. So we are currently uh, just listed our boat business, um, our yacht charter business uh, here in Los Angeles. We started two and a half years ago. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's poised to really grow. We just love the figuring it out, how to get it out there, establishing, doing the automations, kind of getting everything dialed in. And then somebody can go and scale it to, we have a hard time letting go. So someone who wants to scale, they can go scale it and, you know, let it go the way they want. But we, we, we understand the foundation side. So,
0: so it sounds like you guys both have varied interests so that it keeps you on your toes when you're like, okay, we've established this company. All right. It's time to move on to the next one.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about it recently. It's like, you know, at our age, it's we're flipping around to another job or to another, or to another company, and it's like it doesn't seem normal. You know, when you look at your parents, my dad has jewelry store for 35 years, 40 years. So, um, you know, it was a different time just one generation ago. And now it's we do something for a while, and, you know, three to five years later, we're like, dude, that was fun. Let's go find something else. Uh, My wife just launched her own fitness company. Uh, As you can see, she's completely shredded and super hot. Um, And uh, so she's just starting that out. It's uh, all workouts based around 10 minutes a day just to keep you active and keep you healthy. It's not about, you know, getting six pack abs and it's not about, you know, some life changing bodybuilding workout. They're really 10 minute a day workouts that you can modify to whatever your fitness level is. And she feels like there's a you know a hole in the market for that, so she kind of geared it towards my mom and her mom and aunt, our aunts and um, you know other friends that maybe aren't as active as they thought they'd be when they had all this time with COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. But everybody can squeeze in ten minutes in a day and and feel accomplished. So that's what she's working on now, yeah. along with her stunts.
0: Wow! See, already found in another replacement. <laughs> For that, <laughs> how long do you think you'll be with Million Dollar Collar? Until it doesn't feel right anymore? Until you're ready for the next thing? Or, um, I, you know, I see it as something
1: that I've committed my life to it. I mean, I, I sold everything I had in Wisconsin. We moved out to LA, uh, and I committed every dollar and every ounce of time that I had to make this work. So, you know, the goal is obviously to get on the biggest radars out there. I mean, this is a type of product that really should be in every single shirt. You can button your shirt all the way up and still wear a tie, so there's no reason not to have it. I mean, if the biggest companies like PVH are out there coming out with a stretch collar for the 10% of the market that wears a tie regularly, my product is, you know, geared towards the 90% that never wear a tie or rarely wear it. So the goal is to get on their radar, you know, get into massive production, and then, you know, hopefully get bought out at some point where. It's implemented in every shirt. I mean, this is my goal is to change the dress shirt industry. It's not just to, you know, have a little company. So, you know, we find every way possible to not only get the attention of these brands, but also to get it as easy as possible for a customer to try our product. So we started out with million dollar color, which is an aftermarket add-on. You can take it to your dry cleaner or tailor, have it sewn in. It takes five minutes to do if you know how to sew. You can see my sewing machine in the background there. Mm-hmm. Uh, i do the installs myself it takes less than 10 minutes to do it into a shirt and it lasts forever we also have shirts from major brands on our website that are you know shirts that you probably know ralph loren and perry ellis and um, you know calvin klein and brands like that van heusen that already have million dollar collar involved so if you want to just try a shirt you can do that something that you already know and then we launched our own shirt which is this like i said before called go tyla so you know we've just trying to work in every way we can. We're also in uh, almost 650 dry cleaners and tailors. So there's already 600 plus people out there that know how to install a million dollar collar. You could just walk right in, drop off five shirts or one shirt and give it a shot. So.
0: I love that. Now, do you see a celebrity that you would like to be like your spokesperson for it?
1: Well, I mean, to us, George Clooney is the, uh, is the epitome of the sloppy collar. Um, uh, he never wears ties, but it's always bunched up and kind of, kind of junky under his shirt. i would love to, to hook up with him. We have hooked up with a bunch of people already because my wife is a stunt woman. She's on set all the time. So when she's out, she's out talking to the wardrobe people. Oh, what does your husband do? And she explains what she does. She has the before and after picture on my business card and we've gotten on dozens of different shows. The hard part for us is it's inside of the shirt. So you know, while we've been on, you know, Magnum or uh, uh, MacGyver and um, the Ozarks and Dead to Me and all these other shows, you know, I know that it's there because I can see it because I can see how great the shirt looks, but it's not like it's a Nike shirt. that has got the logo on the left chest. Mm -hmm. So we don't get really the branding side of it. um, But, you know, we're able to grab that stuff and say, Hey, we got onto this guy or that guy and share that information. It's kind of fun.
0: Yeah, that is kind of fun. And I can see George Clooney wearing them actually because he's always in that. You're right, the messy yeah. collar, the messy all the time. You know, and it just you can only
1: do this so many times in a day, and you're just like, there's gotta be a better way. I mean, yeah. it's funny how many, even even the, the wardrobe people that I, I talk to that are like, I can't believe I didn't think of this. Like, why? So they love it because they'll put it in a shirt and the guy can go and do scene after scene and take after take after take. And she's not up there adjusting because this side fell or this side fell or whatever. So it's just a lot more consistent look.
0: Now, are they made also for women's shirts as well?
1: Yeah. um, You know, all the shirt needs is to have two layers here in the placket where the buttons and the holes are and two layers in the collar band. Cause it's really just a couple stitches right here that hold it together or hold it in place. So that keeps it from dropping down into the shirt. At the end of the day, I mean, all the dry cleaners we talked to and all the dry cleaning trade shows we went to Um, over 90% of the shirts that they see are men's dress shirts. I mean, fortunately for women, they have a thousand other options that they can go to to still look professional and not have to wear a dress shirt. But on the opposite side, to me, a dress shirt is the most versatile thing a guy can wear. You know, I can look a little bit nicer than a t-shirt. I can wear it untucked. I can roll the sleeves. I can tuck it in. I can wear a tie. I can wear it unbuttoned. There's just so many different ways to wear it. And outside of that, I mean, what do you really have as a go-to piece? So, you know, I think most guys have a, a closet full of, of dress shirts. Most dry cleaner customers have 20 to 30 dress shirts in their closet. So the focus is certainly on the men because that's the majority of the market. But, you know, my wife's obviously got it in all her shirts. Uh, there's a lot of women clients that we have. It's just, it's such a small part of the market that we're just trying to focus on the, on the bulk.
0: So how has COVID made you pivot your business?
1: So ironically, our dress shirt company, um, we got our first run of shirts in October. We had a Facebook company that we paid like $30,000 to launch us right before Christmas. We thought, oh my God, this is gonna be perfect timing. Uh, they sold six shirts. And so uh, we kind of had to go back to the drawing board and you know, found a new company. It's a friend of my partner's, he launched in February, COVID hits in March, and actually because of all the uh, major advertisers stopped advertising, our Facebook dollars went three times further than they normally would. So we sold out of, we were like 85% sold out of our first run of shirts within a few months um, due to COVID. The flip side problem was is everybody was making PPE and we were not. We couldn't get anybody to make any of our shirts or any of our product. Uh, They were made here in downtown LA. So I'm pounding on these guys' doors and just standing there with fabric, and they're like, "Dude, I can't help you." And that was what really threw our momentum off. Was we couldn't restock the stuff that we had uh, that people wanted. So uh, we found a factory in Turkey. They made it through COVID. Uh, we're waiting. We've just gotten the size samples from them, so uh, we're about ready to place another order with them and expand our collection. But and we got a lot of people that say it's their favorite shirt in their closet, so we're gonna gonna keep going with it.
0: So. I know, because a lot of people probably are looking for it too, because like you said, most places are closed right now because of COVID, or they're limited to what they can do. So they're probably looking for extra shirts for Zoom calls and things like that because they don't have to do dry cleaning. And that looks so much better than something that you have to take to a dry cleaner. So how do you clean yeah. those shirts? Do you wash them in a washing machine just like a regular wash?
1: That was what took me three years to figure out was I wanted to design this down to the most barbaric level of what people do to those so wash dry iron dry clean launder whatever you do to your shirt if you throw it in a ball after you wear it and it sits in the hamper for a week doesn't matter um, just wear your shirts as normal the only thing that we've noticed that will help is if you button the top three buttons when it's on the hanger and clean that'll just you know comes out of the dryer warm and then it'll sit straight so that helps keep it straight but um, I've got a dry cleaner, a really good friend of mine that didn't believe the product would last. Um, most dress shirts last 50, 60 washes um, at the cleaner. And he's got about 130 or 140 presses on to a shirt just to make sure that it works. And it's still just like day one. So um, three years it took to develop and, and make that material what it needed to be to last the life of the shirt. So you treat your shirt like normal. Oh,
0: wow. So basically if you've, put it in the dryer and then forget it's in the dryer it's it's still okay
1: it's all good i mean you know gravity's going to do its thing the shirt weighs more than the stay does the stays are really really light um so the shirt's going to determine the way that it looks that's why we say if you button the top three then at least they're on the hanger and they're straight so you know and it's it's plastic like so if you Mm want to curl it out and get a little bit flare you can if you want to bend it in get a little closer you can do that too you can button up one higher
0: I think we'd lost him for a second roll. you back. Yeah. Okay. Cause you're kind can of, yeah, there you uh, go.
1: <laughs> I lost uh, you for a
0: minute. You were talking about the collar and yeah. if you wanted to roll it back and do stuff now, how comfortable yeah, it's, it's is? plastic
1: like material. So it it's flexible. So if you want it a little bit more open, you can, if you want a little bit more closed, you know, you can curl it in a little close. It's really your style.
0: Um, how comfortable is it? Cause you know, people, most people, you know, like can't when you have it. stays, like, I, of course you wouldn't know about courses, but courses had stays in them, you know, they're very yeah. uncomfortable. Oh, so, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. You can't even feel it in the shirt. I mean, it stops just below the third button here. So, you know, it's really, really lightweight material. It's really flexible. Um, I mean, you, you don't even notice it's in there. The only thing you might notice is when you're trying to button here, cause it's a little bit more rigid because that's in there. It's, maybe a little bit more difficult to button, but I'll tell you what, I'll take that over the way my shirt looked up there than any day. It's nobody's complained about, you know, the way it feels inside the shirt and we've got them in we're in about 330,000 shirts. Uh, so people absolutely love them.
0: So what's the next step for the, the collar shirt? You know, our thing
1: is is we want to be ubiquitous. We want to be in every single dress shirt. So we are in discussions with a lot of major brands just trying to get the first guy to jump on. You know, once they do, everybody comes calling. Everybody says they want to be first, but nobody actually does. So, you know, we're working real hard to get into that first big brand to get, you know, build our credibility. We went direct to consumer for the last five years. We sold 325,000 sets the hard way you know, 5, 10, 20 at a time to a customer that has to go get them installed then once they get them. Um, so that's what we're working towards. We were really, really close last year with actually the company uh, Express that I had, I was wearing on my wedding day. That was an Express shirt. It was a pretty amazing moment when I was sitting in the meeting with the guys from Express from their innovation team. And I said, you remember that, that wedding shirt? And I pulled it out. So here it is. And it was their, you know, number one selling 1MX Express men's dress shirt. It really brought the whole story full circle. I mean, you could just see people, the the marketing people's gears were just turning. So that last October, and unfortunately, COVID hit shortly after. And you know, the owner of the company had a relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. We'll say that. Um, so there was a lot of turmoil over there. I don't really know, you know, where things landed, but um, we were close. We were we were right on the doorstep. So we'll get there.
0: So what's your next step for them? What, what company are you looking at that would be your dream company to work with? Uh, you know, they,
1: they were certainly, um, you know, my, my, uh, my partner and I love our express shirts and we love the fit and, uh, you know, they make about 30 million dress shirts a year. So they had a pretty significant market share. Um, you know, we just, we want a good brand. Um, we've got some connections to some golf brands, uh, we're talking to a couple other you know brands you know our point of view at this point uh, the way the day and age is is you can't just come back out of covid and think that your regular old pro-
0: we lost him you can't just
1: go back and do the same old thing that you did you're going to have to innovate you're going to have to uh, move forward in advance and, and we feel like that that's in our favor if we can just you know get somebody to see what we're our point of view uh, which isn't always the uh, always the best or so the easiest but um, you know we know we've got a great product and that it can stand up we've been through all the third party testing so we're ready to go when they're ready to go it's just trying to figure out I mean, some people most people is focused on just staying alive rather than innovating right now so
0: do you think having the people around you that support you and believe in your product help you when the times are like you are discouraged and you're like <gasps> Like that, like Express, you, you're right there at the doorstep and then it didn't happen. Did that help you? I
1: mean, you know, my wife's going through that right now with her fitness thing. She's, you know, it's day by day. It's like, you know, today Oxygen magazine or Oxygen Network liked her post. Yesterday, she's like, why am I spending all this time putting this post together? And today that happened. So I'm there a thousand percent for her. She's, you know, we're here alone in LA. So. Uh, we're really are each other's sport animals um you know and it, it makes all the difference in the world to be able to push through and keep going and there's definitely days that i go crawl in bed they i'm out you know i just i don't know what i'm doing with my life i don't know where i'm going and then uh you know uh, a stylist or a wardrobe personal call or a brand will be like hey i saw your stuff i want to try this out and all of a sudden it's there so some days you just got to take a reset and um, you know look deep inside, but again it all comes back to being passionate about what you're what you're going after that That'll keep you going through and nobody's perfect all the time Nobody's on hundred percent all the time. You just got to be able to get back up off the horse when you fall
0: And plus two it's like a culture shock because you said you moved from what Wisconsin to California because my daughter My oldest daughter is actually in grad school out there in California her and her husband so they're kind of by themselves as well so I can imagine the culture shock because I'm in North Carolina and they are saying, it's a whole different world out there in California.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we knew that this, that California was a land of opportunity that Los Angeles was going to get us in front of the people that we wanted to be in front of. Um, Nothing against Milwaukee and nothing against green Bay where we're from. um, But it's just a little slower pace of life. I mean, most people there are, go to college, get a job, get married, buy a house, have kids. And that's just not us. So, you know, when we're gutting out and remodeling uh, the 6,000 square foot commercial building that we bought on the weekends and our friends are partying on their boats and, you know, doing all those things, you know, we really didn't have, I mean, we had the connections, but they just weren't, you know, they didn't understand what we were trying to do. We were able to roll that business into another business and that business into another business. And, you know, we just look at things a little bit differently, which is why we're, you know, been together for ten years now and been going through all the things that we've gone through. So, you know, it helps. We've we've certainly connected with some incredible people here. I mean, beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, we knew that we were going to have and be around amazing people, but I can bust open my phone and shoot a text to friends of mine that uh, you know most people would dream of. So, uh, it's pretty incredible.
0: Wow, and so you just talked about gutting a commercial building. What other else a business have you been in? Because honestly, <laughs> I think you're a jack yeah, of so all trades.
1: Well, um, I never liked paying for things that I didn't have to pay for. So my first, you know, I got in real estate. I was doing residential. My first purchase was a duplex. So I had tenants downstairs for nine straight years. I never missed a payment. I never made a mortgage payment because I had tenants for nine years, um, and I bought that place. And the day I bought it, I was, you know, smashing out walls with a hammer and gutted and remodeled the whole thing by myself. I mean, I was hanging four by eight sheets of five eight inch fire rated drywall on the ceiling by myself, without a machine because I was too cheap to rent one. Um, so I'm the kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Somebody else. I learned how to do it. I just learned how to use a soldering iron the other day. That was pretty cool. Um, so we, you know, had the duplex. I had my eye on this building that was about four blocks away from my house. My screen printing business, I was operating in the basement. So in the winters when it was 55 degrees downstairs, it was pretty tough. Um, My wife, when we met, you know, she always talked about fitness. She had a corporate job. I encouraged her to, you know, start training people. People literally, she's got six pack abs. They would ask her all the time, like, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? She always loved fitness. So while she was flying around the country, she got certified as a personal trainer Um, she started a gym doing TRX in the spring in Milwaukee. We had an amazing summer with no rain and she basically ran her gym all summer long with zero overhead in the park near our house. And by the end of the summer, she quit her corporate job. We bought the commercial building. She opened a gym in there. I opened my screen printing business in there. And then we split off half of the building and, uh, made it into eight small offices and rented out those eight individual offices to eight different businesses so those guys paid for the rent of the whole building. Um, and then when we moved to LA, I sold the screen printing business. He moved it. Um, my wife was down her gym. Those eight tenants were great. We rented out our space on like the last second we got a tenant to rent the whole side that we had. Uh, and then a year later, I was just petting around on real estate. Just I'm like, I just want to stay informed. I want to know what the numbers are. I want to just kind of stay sharp on this. And so I'm Googling around or I'm on like LoopNet or something. And, you know, I was looking at areas that I knew. I know Milwaukee and I know Green Bay because of my in-laws. And so I found this building in Green Bay that just didn't make sense. It was whoever did the advertising did a terrible job because it wasn't right at all. I'm like, this is way too good to be true. I sent my father-in-law over and he goes, this was a 16,000 square foot building, all brick in Green Bay with uh, 22 offices inside that was half rented, that was like astronomically low price. And Mm -hmm. so I scooped it up, um, sight unseen. The first day I saw it was the day we closed on it. I came back from LA to green Bay for a week to just check it out. My wife and I did, uh, we actually hired out. We did a bunch of renovations, filled the building up, got rid of some bad tenants, remodeled the whole thing, filled the building, um, in 13 months. And had a buyer buy both properties, one in Milwaukee, one in Green Bay, and just scooped them both up. And we flipped that property for about three, four times what we paid for it. Oh,
0: wow. So is that something that you think you'll do in L.A. is flip properties?
1: Not L.A. because it's, I mean, it's just so expensive. Um, But I do love real estate. I love new construction. I love the creative side of that. My mom just built a new house, and I, I know the process that she went through. Um, but I do love real estate. I, I would love to get back into flipping houses. I don't know how long we're going to stay in LA. Um, you know, if you listen to the news, uh, the governor's a little crazy and, uh, taxes are getting a little out of control. So, you know, we're trying to be flexible. Um, but I definitely love real estate. It, it's something that I've always been passionate about and we'll definitely spend some more time with. So.
0: So what is COVID like out there in LA? Because I know California, it's crazy. I've seen news reports about how, they're now using like ambulance bays and things like that for people with COVID. So let's. Yeah.
1: I mean, the scary part is they say that all the beds are full. So, you know, uh, my wife was recently in a car accident. It's like, fortunately she was okay. But if she, if she wasn't okay, you know, there's really nowhere for her to go. So it's not even the COVID problem, which is a problem obviously, but it's the fact that there's nowhere for anybody who gets injured to go. So that's where I think the real issues are. Um, there's a lot of hypocrisy, obviously, uh, going around. Uh, and there's not a lot of clarity. Uh, we're kind of battling right now with our boat business is shut down. We have a 50-foot yacht that we do um, charters on. And uh, it's shut down. But you know, there's a fishing boat open right now with that can take 40 passengers that are from all over. And we can't have six people from the same household go out and just get out on the water and, you know, even do a memorial cruise to say goodbye to some, you know, a loved one. So the the hypocrisy and the not knowing what's going on, that's what's frustrating for a business owner, you know, and you're dealing with people that are employed and have a salary. And it's like, hey, think about if you didn't have your salary and it costs you about that much probably to maintain the boat, whether you're working or not. Mm -hmm. So- you know, that boat's very expensive just sitting there and they just kind of are like, well, it's that they, they, you know, this, this core, this, this group's telling us what we can do. Well, and they're saying that you're telling us who can do what and nobody knows what's going on. And that's, what's, you know, mostly frustrating is we've got a business that's dead in the water and nobody will tell us what, why we can and why we can't work. So, and there's no like connection to a big outbreak of, you know, COVID on boats, we probably saw 15, 1600 guests this summer. We're fine. There's no issues. Nobody's come back and said, Hey, I got COVID or there's been this big outbreak. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of not knowing what's going on.
0: So, when you, every time you say the yacht and the cruise ship and like a cruise, I'm thinking below deck on Broadway. That's all I could think of. And I'm like, is it like that or is it a much smaller thing?
1: Yeah, I mean we're fifty feet. That cruise, that one's uh, I think one hundred and fifty or two hundred feet. So that is significantly different. Um, you know, it's typically my wife and I. I'm a fifty ton master captain, uh, and then she'll kind of be the the first mate. So she makes sure people have their drinks, and if they need a towel or if they need anything, you know, she's really amazing at making sure everybody has a, a great experience. So um, I mean, we do have a lower, you know, part with a kitchen and a couple bathrooms and stuff. But you know, it's it's definitely not like you know a huge crew on below deck or anything but
0: yeah that's those all boats are in the marina.
1: they're cool to see <laughs> yeah
0: so um what made you decide to get into the, the charter business was it because it uh, an extension of real estate for you
1: it kind of was you know um my wife and i like i said we had uh, we sold both of our commercial buildings we had listed uh both we were hoping to get a buyer and you know when that whole transaction happened um it was because we knew we were staying in LA. We were not going to move back to Milwaukee. My mom did all the books and all the stuff for both the commercial properties. And um, one was kind of on a, on a borderline area that was a little sketchy. So um, I didn't like sending her over there anymore. So, you know, we sold the two properties and we needed something to do to reinvest that money. Um, I've always been into boats. Uh, my aunt and uncle had a, a number of sea rays. Uh, and her parents have always had boats since she was born so she grew up on the water and i actually worked because i was so into boats i was actually captaining for another friend of mine that i had met out here that had two boats while i was getting licensed um i watched his business do what it did and you know i like to find opportunities and i just didn't think that he was hitting the market and all the boats that were here were his style um which a lot of the guys live on those boats are just kind of weird. Like, Hey, come on to my house and I'm going to take you out on the water, but just don't go in that drawer. That's my underwear drawer. (laughs) So, um, I, uh, I just saw an opportunity. And so we talked about it and we decided to buy a boat and see what we could do with the charter business. And we grew unbelievably, uh, fast. I mean, we got on the radars. Fortunately, you know, she's got some relationships in, in the film industry. Um, but we just put out a really, really great product. We made it really easy for people to book. And um, we did uh, an insane amount of charters in just our first two years. So,
0: Wow. I can't even imagine. I mean, building up one company and then you're building up another company at the same time, having all that going on. How did you keep it straight? Well, you know, I
1: think both of us are... Um, a little bit ADD. So, you know, sometimes it's just, you get so in the weeds with one. Sometimes it's just nice to have a distraction to go do something else. And so, um, what ended up being really great with the boat business is uh, if it wasn't for that, I would sit at my computer all day long and just try to make million dollar collar work. And I can't be very creative sitting behind a computer I need stimulation. And so I'd get on the boat and you know I'd have some peace and quiet to myself and I could just think and then you know maybe a conversation would pop up with one of the guests and then all of a sudden there's ideas flowing and it just put me in you know touch with different types of people. Um you know we charge a pretty significant amount of money for our boat in comparison to other boats in the marina. So we tracked a little bit higher in clientele and those clientele led to other amazing opportunities for us. And so, you know, in part it was because we wanted a boat and we didn't want to pay for it, but in part it was, we knew that we would be around people that we might not otherwise around. Um, so we just saw the opportunity in it and, you know, try to take advantage of that as best as we could with the people that we met. And I've now got a consultant for my, for million dollar collar that's helping us out um, made some really amazing friendships. I mean, it's so funny. We get done and, and I think people get on board and they're like, you know, these people, you know, are here to serve us. And then by the end of it, they're like, hey, is it weird if I get your number? Can we like hang out again? Cause you guys are <laughs> freaking awesome. So, you know, it's funny to watch that kind of cycle go uh-huh. through throughout the day. Um, but you know, we just try to have fun and, uh, you know, share things that we're passionate about. And you know, when your customer, centric, you're customer focused, it's easy to grow a business because it make you make it easy for people to talk about. You either are going to have a standard experience, you walk into DSW to buy a pair of tennis shoes and you know you go try them on yourself and you go to the counter and then you walk out. You're not telling anybody about that. But when somebody goes above and beyond and make you feel special and make gives you that type of experience, it, it's easy to get them to share and talk about it. So it's made growing business really easy and cheap because we don't spend a dollar on advertising. We don't, zero, not none. It's all word of mouth. It's all SEO. um, And it's all because we put our customers first and do everything we possibly can to make sure that they have an amazing day in the water.
0: Do you think that has to do with your degree? You said you had a degree in marketing, right? Do you think that all that knowledge comes from degree in marketing or some of it's life experience?
1: None. It was, uh, this comes uh, 75% from my dad being a successful businessman and being customer centric in the jewelry industry. Uh, My dad had changed uh, to the point where still nobody has matched some of the things that he's done. Um, And he's got, he's the third largest independent jeweler in the country before he retired and sold the business to his, his employees. So, He taught me how to be very customer centric. And my mom is just everybody that would come to the screen printing shop. I was so fortunate. She would work for me. She worked for me for several years. She would come in you know, she'd go watch my nieces and nephews for a few hours. And then she'd come over to the shop and fold t-shirts and do the books and just kind of hang around. We got to spend a lot of time together. Um, But usually when customers would come in to pick up their stuff, she would experience or she would drop it off for me. And everybody would be like, dude, your mom is freaking awesome. And you know she's just an amazing woman. Um, my dad is an amazing business guy, and I learned a little bit from both of them. It's really all about relationships and just treating people better than the way that you want to be treated. Treating them the way they want to be treated. Um, I think that's a, a common misnomer. Is a lot of people say treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, sometimes we're on the boat and people don't want to talk to you. Shut up, dude. Uh, this is this is a date. You know we're we're going off a sunset to date. We want to talk. I don't want to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's your thing. I'm going to provide you the best atmosphere. If you need something to drink, we're going to ask every once in a while, make sure you got something to drink. But some people don't stop talking and their kids come up and they want to drive and, you know, then we'll give them that experience. So it's really treat people the way they want to be treated. And they're pretty specific. I mean, most people are pretty uh, obvious about what they want and how they want things done. So just have to listen a little bit.
0: So, we're almost out of time, but can you give us one last little tidbit that, or anything else that you want to share with us?
1: Uh, I, I, I never stop learning. I'm constantly listening to audiobooks. I talk to business people um, and I love to stack opportunities. Like I said, my phone is full of numbers that most people would be jealous to have, and those are my friends. Uh, and it's because I was genuinely interested in what they are doing. They're genuinely interested in what I'm doing. Um, And just the boat has put us in front of so many ridiculously incredible people, celebrities, pro athletes, insane business people, uh, Hollywood executives, um, and just amazing, regular, normal, like super cool people that have become friends of ours. So um, I like to stack opportunities and um, I like to learn, keep learning.
0: Wow. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I mean, it's, this has been interesting. I mean, I probably have a million more questions. I might have to have a follow-up. Maybe once you get into the manufacturer and the, into the 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 into the clothing company that you want to be in, maybe you can come back yeah. on and share that success because I would love to hear about that.
1: Absolutely. You know, you should talk to me, my wife. She's pretty badass.
0: Um, you know, that's I was good. thinking that as you were talking about <laughs> her app for the 10 minutes, I'm thinking I'm doing a women in business series. She would be perfect to be on. So pass yeah, she's, incredible,
1: man. she's just she's one of those people that sets a goal and uh, always hits it. You know, she's just bullheaded and determined and she just knows what she wants. And it, it's so cool to be together and to be with somebody that's trying to do the same things that we are. Uh, or that I am, and so for us together, it's it's really inspiring. There's there's days that we're at each other's throats because we're really competitive and we we really want the best. But at the end of the day, um, you know, ten years together, and you know, looking to you know fifty more. So um, it's really incredible what she's been able to accomplish. She's worked more in four years as a stunt person than most people do in eight or ten years, um, and she took a business degree turned it into a passion with Jim, and is now a Hollywood stunt woman. I mean, she just worked on her favorite show, Shameless the other day, which, you know, it, how cool is that? Like, she's like, I, if I didn't, if I didn't need the money, I would do this for free. Cause I just love being on set. I love the attention on me. I love the pressure of, you know, having to hit that mark and do it right the first time. And it's just such a cool experience and to see her doing something she's passionate about and, now being able to share this fitness thing with with everybody is uh, is pretty cool. She's she's really talented on the on the fitness side. So,
0: yeah, I would love to. Sorry, have her I'm on. Just
1: gloating about my
0: wife. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, you can tell you can tell that you're both each other's biggest cheerleaders. I mean, at least yeah. for you, you can tell you're her biggest cheerleader. Um, yeah. But yeah, pass my information on to her. I would love to have her on.
1: Yeah, she's she's amazing. So I'll definitely
0: do that. All right. So thank you once again, Rob, for being on. And I can't wait to see Million Dollar Collar in the stores everywhere. (laughs) And guys, we will will see you on the next chat from the Blog Cabin. Bye. Mm -hmm. Y'all, you can obviously tell that Rob does not let grass grow underneath his feet. Yes, you could tell he had some money growing up but you also tell that he is not idle and that he doesn't sit back and and expect the money to come to him that he works for his money to sit there and talk about how he started his business and he bought a building, refurbished it, his wife did his fitness her fitness studio out of it. He did a screen printing business out of it. Then they sold it. Then they moved to California because she wanted to be a stunt woman. And then they ended up buying a yacht. All I can think of is Bravo Below Deck. And and just that whole conversation was such a great conversation to have and just the whole just the mindset of the entrepreneurship of what's next how can i do this what can i do to improve this that is what people need in in business is how we can go from one step to the next always looking for the next thing always looking for the next project to work on you know not to be comfortable with just sitting back and being with mediocrity not being mediocre just looking back and say what can we do next how what excites me what can i do not instead of getting up every day and getting a paycheck. So, I really, really enjoyed having this conversation with Rob. And I cannot wait to have his wife on. Um, it a, was a really amazing ch- um, chat. And guys, y- you really need to go check out the Facebook Live and the YouTube Live on this. Because he in the background, you can see the messy collar. And you can see the collar. And the collar, I mean, you can see the difference. And the million dollar collar that he's talking about. Also, I would want to thank you guys for being part of the Chats in the Blog Cabin family. I would love if you'd leave a rating, a review. um, Let me know how I'm doing. Um, It also helps this get in front of everybody else. I have two more episodes on business coming up. One is um, someone to tell you how to do simple passive income. And another one is talking about public speaking. And then from there, I'm going to go into a little bit of um, African-American, um, entrepreneurs, um, authors, writers, um, entrepreneurs, um, I have been a, a pastor on that uh, since February is Black History Month, and then March, getting ready, because March is going to be every day, every single solitary day, even on the weekends, I'm gonna put it out there, it's gonna happen, every single solitary day, even on the weekends, we're going to have an episode, so get ready because March is going to be dealing with women's history. It, whether it's going to be a woman on talking about her business, um, women's issues are just things. Could be fun, fun show. Like for instance, I have a woman who is a very good friend of mine, who is going to be coming on and talking about how we can style, how, how different styles, how we have a fashion show. So it may be a really weird podcast that day, but we're gonna. she's going to give us tips on different sizes, accessories we can use, and things like that. So we're going to have a fun time. So guys, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And remember, let's keep chatting with each other.